This is your girl, Shakina, and I'm with my girls, Tor and Shara, and we are the Black Woman Reborn. This is a podcast where we have raw, honest, captivating, and informative conversations about issues that affect Black women in their personal and professional lives. Welcome to the tribe. Tribe, we are back for another episode of our three-part series, The Black Woman and Her Vote, Part 2. Tonight, we are going to talk about how we as Black women play a major role in making it happen in the 2020 elections and how labor and community activism plays an even bigger role, not only in how we will flip the White House, but flip our communities and making sure we are effectively communicating with our elected officials and being heard moving into the 2020 elections. I have the pleasure of introducing you all to someone who is near and dear to me. She is not only my friend in the labor in the labor community, but she is my sister in the LGBT community. I know that she will pour into you all as much as she pours into me every time we talk and as much as she pours into the labor in the Atlanta community. I have the pleasure again of introducing to you all Shannon Rees. How are you doing tonight, Shannon? I'm awesome, Shakina. I appreciate y'all having me on. Absolutely. So I'm going to give the people your bio real quick and then we'll just get straight to it into these questions. Shannon Rees is the executive director of Atlanta Jobs with Justice Coalition of Faith, Community, Labor, and Student Organizations Committed to Economic Justice. Shannon has been organizing workers and communities across the South for the last 15 years. Most recently, she worked to pass, ban the box policy in nine municipalities across Georgia, Atlanta Jobs with Justice is currently focused on raising Georgia's minimum wage of $5.15 per hour and winning $15 minimum wage in both public and private sector workspaces. In 2016, Atlanta JWJ won $14.90 base wage with Fulton County workers and in 2017 won $15 an hour base wage with City of Atlanta workers. Atlanta JWJ is also building a vibrant civic engagement arm for working families in Georgia. Shannon is committed to winning economic justice that addresses historical disparities of race, class, gender, geography, sexual orientation, and ethnic origins. Does that sum it up for you, Shannon? Is that you, girl? That's plenty of words <laughs> to describe <laughs> some of what I've been up to um, the past couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. So as we get into it, I just want to hear from you and about what you think about what is happening, where we are in 2020. Where are we going with this election? Where you? Where, what do you think? Yo, so loaded question, right? 2020 has right. been um, 
quite a year. So 2020, um, you know, I feel like every year, like you just heard, we've been on a particular march from like 2016 till now. And every year I feel like I have to say, this is the most important election of your life. <laughs> and every year, um, what is the most important elements um, are heard and not heard. You know, I think that we are in a, a cycle around electoral politics that like, one, we have to be vigilant about what does it mean for us to protect our vote, but we also have to be like even more vigilant about our turnout and how we're gonna get our neighbors, our family, our friends, and our folks to really shatter all turnout that this country has ever seen. And I think as black women, um, that has historically been on our backs. It's historically been us that has uh, ran these field campaigns and made sure that everybody in the neighborhood knew what was on the ballot. Um, so I just think that 2020 is like a year that you want to pay attention to the fact that it's about Trump at 45 and what's going on there. But you also really want to pay attention to your local and state politics in 2020. Um, that if you're you're feeling disenchanted by the top and the chaosness of, of the top of the ticket, even though that should be plenty of reason for you to go out right now. Um, I want to remind people that like state races matter a lot in Georgia right now. Um, state reps, Congress, senators, all of that, all, the entire ballot is really our, um, it's our place of creating a shield of protection for our communities. And I think we better understand that right now um, in ways that maybe we haven't uh, before, that, that we kind of thought it was a joke for 2016. Maybe we, we just didn't think he could win in 2016. Right. We didn't believe he could. And I hope that we now know he can and he will do everything that he said he would. Uh, so we gotta do what we gotta do. Right. What we should have been doing is taking it from face value in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. And and I think you hit the nail on the nose. Like he said, he told us what he was going to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he said exactly. He said he was going to do X, Y, Z, and that's exactly what he is doing. Um, and I think you know you said a lot about how we as black women. Um, we do show up when it comes to um, campaigns. We do show up when it comes to voting. And I think that we always have strong ties to community. And one of the things that I'm impressed with the work that Jobs with Justice um, have always done is how they are deeply embedded into community. And I feel like they make that connection more so than other um, organizations who have um, political rootings. And I, so I want to ask you, like, what is that? What is the the intersection between um, community and politics and even faith? Right. Because that's part of it. And that's part of kind of what jobs with justice do. Like, so what is that intersection? Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of the reason I've enjoyed um, this time being in leadership here with JWJ is that we are a nexus. Like we are the place that everything you are as a leader who needs and deserves economic justice in this system and society, we want to make sure that we are our network caters to each part of our, each part of you. Right. So like a lot of activists are people of faith and don't always have a way for them to stand, especially on the left. It's like right-wing evangelical faith is a thing that everybody, you know, is really clear about. Everybody's like, oh, the white, you know, right-wing crazies and their evangelical church. But the reality is the left are a whole lot of people of faith as well. Um, so we try to make sure that when you come into our spaces, 
while we are interdenominational, we want everybody in faith to come through. We don't want you to feel like you have to check your faith completely at the door. We're able to actually be in our faith and our politic at the exact same time. We're able to talk about the issues that impact workers um, across the spectrum, whether you are LGBTQ and of faith and go to work. We want to make sure that we're talking to all of those things. And then we ask you to take all of that into your political voting self. There's not a like, you got to vote this way because you're gay, this way because you believe in abortion, this way. No, you can actually look at each and every candidate and have a conversation about what, where are they on each one of your issues. And that's what we want to promote in our intersectionality of, of civic engagement. Um, that Vote With Justice, which is our civic engagement arm, um, really covers like 13 issue areas. And it's meant for you to be able to look at each candidate on the ballot and juxtapose it against the 13 issues that we as a network have said matter. But within those 13 issues, you'll, you'll find the things that are impacting your life. And for us, it's that everything that is community is political, that the politics of the, the potholes in your street are a thing that we have to connect between community and politics, the politics of your sales tax, the politics of do we have unemployment insurance right now for working people are all things that people of power who we either vote for or don't get to make decisions about. So with our education arm, we're constantly trying to make sure folks understand the connective tissue between what they're experiencing in their life and where the political legislative policy you know, the arms of it are. So like Shakina knows last year when they shut the government down and they laid furloughed federal workers and stuff. And we wanted to make sure that federal workers had an opportunity to talk to the people who represent them and were making decisions about when to reopen the government, how to reopen it, how much they were going to get paid and all of that goodness. So again, just always trying to make the connective tissue between what you're experiencing as a working person and who in power has the ability to change that politically and how your vote uh, matters and connects to that. So I want to ask you, Shannon, you've been in the game for 15 plus years. Plus, yeah. And, it, and, I'm, and I know as a woman in the labor movement, it probably feels like 35 years. But take us back to what got you involved and engaged in doing what you do and what drives you? Um, you know, I think the, the path to movement and justice work for Black people is always very, uh, there's not like a, a very first point because we're Black, right? And like our experience in the world is constantly being challenged. So our lens and our framework and our ability to fight back, resist and find our strength and leadership is something that just comes with walking in the world. Um, but then there are like political moments that help us connect what we're experiencing as Black people. So oftentimes I go back to like all the way back to Rodney King Day. You know what I'm saying? Like when Rodney King was having how we had to understand um, who we were as Black people. So I just think there's points in history that Black people will always figure out what is justice for me in my life. So I know one of my first ones was when there was a, a big walkout at school because of Rodney King. Um, and I was very young and I'm not going to say how young because I want us to be younger than what anybody thinks. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> One thing nobody would be able to tell because we know the saying says that black don't crack and you ain't crack girl. <laughs> no, it's starting to fade child. I don't know. We're going to have to get some scrubs or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, fading and cracking is know. still two different things. Fading and cracking <laughs> is still two different things. 
<laughs> so yeah, so I, I would say that, you know, just the experience of being black, the experience of like having to come out as a lesbian and find myself within community, like these things were just things that made me know that there were injustices not just happening to myself, but anybody that was like me. Um, and then I moved south, right? Like I grew up in Ohio and Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, and Georgia will definitely make you question what is justice. Right. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I feel like when I came south, um, I, I felt an additional awakening to my own family story and history of how we came out of the south and into Cleveland and into the north. Um, and then 9-11 uh, happened and I felt hell bent. And it was wild to like watch George W. Bush at John Lewis's, you know, funeral and remember who we felt he was back then, right? Um, and I, I just felt very called to like step up and be anti-war. My uncle was a disabled Vietnam vet. Like again, it's the things that happen to us in our lives that help us understand where there is and is not justice happening. And then we start to try and figure out, well, what the hell am I gonna do about it? So 9-11 happened, I jumped up talking about some anti-war, we ain't doing this shit, black people don't go fight, you know, whatever. Um, and then met some pretty crazy black radical revolutionary folks. Um, Chokwe Lumumba um, came to my first anti-war rally in Mississippi. Um, and from there, it was just a deep dive into what is black liberation? What is black revolutionary politics? How are we gonna actually get there? Um, so I didn't start with labor, right? Like I started, you know, just being black and trying to figure out what justice was gonna be and then running into really powerful leaders um, who had been established in the work since the 50s and 60s and, and all of that goodness and just allowing them to, to mold and train me and deliver their frameworks of justice uh, into my heart and into my soul. And I just made a commitment back then that, uh, you know, if there was a path for us to help black people struggle less, if there was a path for us to um, achieve the freedom that folks like David Walker in like 1803 was talking about. You know, like if there was a way for us- Call the names out, Shannon. Edu <laughs> educate the people, okay? For us to keep the legacy of Black people struggling for freedom on this soil alive, I wanted to be a part of that. Um, so Shannon, I just want to pause there because I wanted to highlight one of the phrases that you just used, which is Black revolutionary politic. And I think a lot of people can agree that brings up different stuff for different people. Some people may think of the Black Panther Party. Some people may think of Black militants. Some people may think of Black empowerment. Um, so for you, as you just spoke in the ways that you did, I just kind of want to get an understanding of what does that mean to you? What is Black revolutionary politic? I think that it is constantly evolving constantly mm -hmm. evolving that um i think the the fundamental tenets of black revolutionary politics is that dr john henry clark told us how are we going to feed clothe and educate and house our people when you are answering those questions and you're answering those questions in a sustainable way in a way that enables us to not be um, governed by our oppressors or governed by people who do not love us flat people who do not love us governing us, whichever way we can get from out of that position is us in embarking on a black revolutionary liberatory politics. Um, so, you know, I think it's evolving. I feel like some days I call myself a recovering black nationalist because, you know, Malcolm and them told us that nationalism was a way that we would get there. Um, 
but we didn't know that things like Africon were coming. You know, we didn't we didn't know that you know economic colonization was coming behind that. Like there there were just things that we didn't have foresight on. So our our revolutionary politics has had to evolve and grow with the oppressor's foot on our neck because that's what happened. You know, <laughs> like they didn't they didn't stop figuring out a new way to put you know the knee on the neck for his foot. Uh, they didn't right. stop that. So. I think we have to continue to evolve. What is freedom for us? What is liberation for us? What does that really look like? And what are the politics that are going to deliver um, that for us? Real quick, Shannon, before we move on, uh, first, thank you for that. I think your definition and your explanation of how re- uh, Black revolutionary politics work um, is so important for us to pay attention to. I think it is ever evolving. One of the things that I feel like I have to constantly um, defend is actually engaging in the political process as a Black woman. Why it's important as a Black woman to vote. Um, some people feel like that it's more a revolutionary act to actually disengage from the process. And I don't know if you have had that experience of having to continuously explain and have those conversations. Um, but I feel like, you know, especially our extra woke brothers and sisters <laughs> who, who feel like, you know, I ain't voting. Um, I'm not, you know, tying myself to any party. Like, I don't know if you 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 dealt with that yo i used to be like that um and i went from a like i'm not gonna vote i'm not gonna party affiliate and i still really don't party affiliate um to like we need to understand systems of governance and if you don't participate and understand this system of governance i'm not really interested in talking to you about the creation of another one if you have not fully exercised and stepped up into the thing that is governing you currently and flex some power and understand what does it mean to transition power? What does it mean to policy? What does it mean to legislate? If those are not part of your lexicons of power and liberation, then I I just don't know what we're going to create. So, you know, for me, I had to grow up a little bit about what does it mean to demonstrate our values, right? What does it mean to be ready to govern, not just ready to dismantle, not just ready to challenge, Um, And when you are ready to govern and you know what is governing you right now, then you're going to take yourself to the ballot box right now. Not only are you going to take yourself to the ballot box, but you're going to know you going to the ballot box is as necessary as your neighbor going to the ballot box. Come on, You're going to know that and you're going to do something about that because you are ready to govern. Now, if you want to continue to be governed, okay, then you will not go and select who your representative is. But if you are actually ready to govern, you're going to want to say, you're going to want your representative to know your name, to know your issue. You're not accountability. Actually like, like it's, it's not even just accountability. It's that I'm not going to be unheard. Like I actually care enough about myself that you who's supposed to be voting in my interest, you're going to know what my interest actually is. Right. But if I don't come tell you what my interest is and, and, because so much of our community is disenfranchised, because so many of our folks that are like in our values that need our vote actually can't, i.e. immigrant family, immigrant community, you know, if you cannot vote, if you do not vote, I will respect you still if you take yourself to a city council meeting, if you take yourself to a county council, if you take yourself down to the legislature. So I, I do want folks to know that like voting isn't the end of it. It's actually just a very small piece of it. But I know too many people who are in power that don't care about us, don't love us, and have never had to face us 
And that's the biggest problem. They have not had to face the people that they represent. So I just want to encourage us to participate in the system, that public comments actually does change policy, that a couple hundred people, 505 people deciding that they have an opinion about a policy and voicing it to these, it really does change the game. It's not as hard as people think. They told you the system doesn't want to hear from you, but if you've never even gone in there to watch them dismiss you, how do you know that's true? How do you know it's true? I've gone in there and been dismissed and I've gone in there and got done what the hell I came for. Right. Both happen. And then in those spaces where you aren't heard, don't get discouraged. Make sure that you show back up, right? So that's going to lead us into our next question for you is being a trailblazer on the trail that you have, of course, blaze for yourself along the way have you been in places where you felt like you weren't being heard not only as a woman as a black woman but also as a lesbian right um talk to us about that and just how you navigate through those systems of a different type of oppression right yeah yeah no I mean so you know I know we're on like podcasting and whatever so I'm not a super feminine woman um and black masculine presenting women are not a normal concept for our communities to see as authority okay because we're talking about authority we're talking about power right that we all it's like the white coat syndrome right that like if somebody puts on a white coat and they start talking to you about public there's a whole bunch of people that'll just listen to them because they have on a white coat, right? The same thing is true for these marginalized, you know, realities and identities is that because you are masculine or center, you are automatically devalued as a non-listenable voice, right? And it's this weird um, learning how to speak because you know you are right that I want to encourage anybody that holds an identity that is typically not heard or typically told not to be empowered. You have to speak because you know what you have to offer is valid, right, good, and of service. And you just cannot get caught up on the fact that the world did not want to hear from Black women. The world did not want to hear from Black lesbians. The world does not want Black lesbians to say, I am a Black lesbian. There's so much of our community that is just like, oh, what's wrong with you that you would even identify as such a thing? And, And... the reality is, it's who I am. It's what I am. It's what I do. And I'm not ashamed of it. And if you are, that's for you to deal with. And we have got to walk into all of our identities, understanding who and what we are, and what our worth is. It cannot be dictated by the people around you. Labor is a hyper man, hyper white man ran, you know, industry. Um, it's not an industry that looks to equalize or validate women at any space and definitely not a lesbian woman but you just cannot let the, that be the reason you do or do not speak. If I could just tell folks anything, you've got to speak because you believe in what you are saying and let the chips fall where it may and let people deal with their own insecurities about who and what you are. Stand in your power, stand in your strength and speak your shit. Talk that shit and let it ride. If you need right. to be held accountable, 
Cause yo, can we curse on y'all? Is this Siri XM? Can, um, <laughs> ah, you don't already dropped uh, several curse words. Go, we just gonna have to go with it at this point, okay? But this is you about know, having honest woman, and uncomfortable conversation. No, I was saying this is where when you're passionate about something. That's that honest and uncomfortable conversation. So we are open to being authentically you here as the woman that you are and however we identify. So as we said in our the very beginning of us in our initial podcast is everybody ain't going to like what we got to say. Everybody ain't going to like how we got to say it. But what you will get is the message. Oh, man. Shakina and, and Shannon, I, I really love that. I love where we're going with this because what's coming up for me is the word authentic, um, authenticity. And one of the quotes that I have written down on a post-it note is one of my favorite quotes. It says that one of the most revolutionary acts that a Black woman can make is just being her most authentic self. And that quote has always spoke to me because, you know, I think as a, a, a dark-skinned Black woman who has faced a lot of just um, microaggressions and macroaggressions or any Black woman who has had to code switch in their professional and personal lives, it's just, you know, being your most authentic self is such a statement. It is such a statement. And it also makes me think about what you were talking about earlier, Shannon, when you talked about how a lot of times those of us who are really deeply embedded in this work, a lot of times we were just living our lives. We were just living out what we knew to be and how to be, um, whether that's just engaging in our community, standing up for other people, and it was perceived as us taking the lead. But a lot of times it wasn't that. So I guess my question I kind of want to go into next is your thoughts around how do we be more intentional about that? You know, a lot of times we're just living our lives and being our most authentic selves as Black women, and we end up kind of falling into this work. But how do we actually be more intentional about taking the lead on um, the, the work that we do in communities and in politics? Mm-hmm. I think it's happening that like you've got more black women running for office this year than last year than the year before. And we was talking about it was the most number in 2016 that like we're stepping into our spots. We're not actually waiting anymore for somebody to make us a table. You know, people like, oh, they, they won't give you a seat at the table. Bring a folding chair. Man, I ain't even trying to get to your table no more. I'll make a whole new table under that. Right. What? We, and, and we don't even want a table. We're meeting under the tree. Do what you're doing over there. That like black women are not even here for it right now. Like we, we're really on. We know what we're ready to achieve. We know what we want to get done, and we know how to. And we're not asking for permission. We are so in the asking for forgiveness instead of permission position. Okay, that we are willing to take action and act right now. And if we have offended you, we will hold the position of accountability. But that's where I feel like black women are across the country. And I will say this, there is a little bit of a black woman wave right now that even when it comes to like fundraising and stuff, people are like, oh, give the black women the money. You're right. That's absolutely right. And we better ride that wave, y'all, because I do not know when that shit crashed. Okay. Seize <laughs> the, the moment. Seize <laughs> the moment. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, it's it's a moment for us to just put your shoulders back, you know? 
And I don't, um, I feel like I want to do us a little bit of justice here too on the, you know, the strong black woman thing. We are, but we are whole humans, right? Like I talked to you all in a lot of strength today, but Shakina, you know, I've been gone for months because right. I've had to deal with real grief, real life, real pain, real struggles. So my sisters out there that are like, shit is hard right now. Y'all gave me permission to cuss. Stuff is hard right now. It is. I want to honor that. I want us to make sure we hear each other that this is not an easy time. And it's definitely not an easy time for Black women. But what we're going to do is put our shoulders back and put our sister on our back if we got to, to get over this line, right? To get over this next hump, to get over this next hill. We're going to try and not burn bridges between each other as Black people. Right now, let's really figure out how we lift and hold Black women, we're going to have to be peacemakers in our communities as half our community is unemployed in a pandemic, okay? Like, we know how violence and things, like, there's just ways that we're going to step into our best and greatest self, even amongst this pandemic, and even when it's hard and stuff is like, whatever, Shakina going to hit a call to me and say, come talk that shit and feel your strongest self. You know what I'm saying? So I just want us to know we're whole humans right now. We're not just strong all the time. There's going to be some valleys in this. There's going to be some climbing in this. But what we're really trying to do is see the valley behind us, even if we're in a valley today. Y'all feel what I'm saying on that? Foothills to peaks to summits. We're going up. Come on. And that's when I think of Black woman reborn, the internal revolution. When I sat down with these three ladies and we talked about the concept of this. And when Shara came up with... Y'all, we got to call our meeting something that are, that's going to catch the people. And that's why, where we came up with tribe meetings. This is not just a podcast. We are here for the tribe. And what is, what is the tribe? It is the gathering of people to build, to take care of, to comfort. And not just the good times, but in the bad times as well. We have to recognize that society always looks at us as being stronger and not needing. We need a lot. Yes, we do. We need love. We need and we deserve care. it. We need help. Mm-hmm. We can't always be filling up everybody else's cup. That's right. And that's where we find ourselves as black women so busy pouring out and not able to receive in because we don't even know. So it comes to sometimes we don't even know how to receive it back. Mm-hmm. Somebody try to pour into our cup. We don't move the cup back. Like we don't need it. No sis, you need, you need that. Take that, take that, you know, and we don't, and we move so subconsciously. It's, it's embedded in us. Because back in slavery and all of that, we didn't have a choice but to keep going. Mm-hmm. Our survival have, depended on it. Yes. And it, as it does right now. As, as it does. It does. It's right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's, and that's often how we vote. We vote. Why we are the largest uh, voting block right now is because we're always voting because our survival depends, depends on it. And we and the thing about black women, we never just fight for ourselves either. Like, if there's one thing I know in my soul about black women, we really do fight for humanity. Yes, that we fight for all the babies. 
There's never a baby that we see on the earth that we don't think is worth fighting for. It's just not, I, I don't know that black woman. I've never met her. That every black woman I didn't fought with, she fought for all the babies. So, you know, we know who we are. We say we are black women when we fight, but I know when we come to it, we come to save the whole earth. And I know that people need to start respecting that that is the love that we pour into this. Um, from our black men, you know what I'm saying, to black trans, but everybody needs to hold, you know, black womanhood with the the honor and respect that she gives to us because we've been doing it and we're going to keep doing it. Keep doing it. Put some respect on the black woman's name, okay? Right. on it. <laughs> right. You have no choice but to put respect on the black woman's name. I mean, really, we are we are usually the ultimate carers of community. And that's not only the community of Black women, um, but that's just the larger community of women, the, the larger community of mothers, the larger community of Black and brown p- people and marginalized groups. Like we are often on the forefront of defending and caring for those communities. And you cannot help but to put respect on the Black woman's name. As you said, Shannon, we are often the ones who are looking out for all the babies. And it, it kind of reminds me of like some issues, some arguments that I've had um, on social media um, oh, kind of relating to this, right? So just thinking about how do we deepen our understanding of the intersecting points between black and brown people and indigenous people. Um, and because there's a lot and, you know, I've, I've written stuff on my social media where I've talked about those intersections. I've talked about, um, you know, even going back to the slaves and what did, you know, how did the indigenous people and the slaves interact? And, you know, I wrote, you know, how I found out there was one tribe that actually um, housed slaves as they uh, ran away. Um, and then, you know, people kind of pushed back and was like, well, did you know that some indigenous folks, you know, own slaves and the same, and all of that stuff. But the, the whole point is that, you know, for me and, you know, I know racism is wrong. I know all of that, you know, but now it's about me deepening my um, understanding of how we all connect as non-white folks. Um, And just I've had to, in this journey, come up against so much pushback from people who said, you know, uh, uh-uh, we need to worry about ourselves. <laughs> we need to worry about liberating and 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 defending and standing up for our own people, um, and and that means black people only. And that's just not, you know, my my morals. So I guess from you, um, as a person who is in this work and have um, shared values, how do you approach those um, those conversations? And and you know, how do you? What is the counter argument when people come up and say, Nah, we need to worry about ourselves? So I think this is like a, a human issue, right? That like you can go anywhere on the planet and people are figuring out a reason to not take care of somebody else's child. You know, will come up with a reason to ignore, dismiss, or devalue, you know, a, a, another human being. So I think first we want to know what is our greatest self, our greatest position, right? What is keeping us from that? And this is, as an individual, you ask yourself this, Black woman, whatever woman you are, ask yourself, what is actually keeping me from my greatest position? The thing that gets you to your greatest position, it also needs to be a thing that gets other humans to their greatest position, right? And it's like, if you 
are fighting for yours and yours really is a, all humans can get to their greatest position, then you're in track and you don't actually have to care about what somebody else's thing is because if your fight for your freedom, your, if I have um, right now unemployment, if I was given unemployment right now because I was unemployed and I'd be able to take care of my families and I would want other people to have access to that as well. It's a thing that you need because you're unemployed, but you know it'll also take care of somebody else for you to fight for that thing. And that's all I really ask folks to think about and look at is the thing that you think you are doing worthy. Is every human on earth doing worthy of that same thing? That's the one I want you to fight for. Now, if you answer that question, if so-and-so doesn't deserve it, then I question whether or not you do because we're supposed to be also equal humanity, right? So right. for me, it's just be real simple on the like, my humanity deserves a particular thing. And then that means all people of human persuasion and position deserve that same thing. And this is a problem I think white folks really have right now, white culture, white, white supremacy. White supremacy says we as white people deserve a thing and somebody else has put themselves in a position that says that they do not deserve this thing. My children deserve blah, 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 but your children do not deserve blah, blah, blah. That's what we want to guard ourselves against when we're in any type of fight for justice, liberation, what's right, what's wrong. If it's good for the goose, it needs to be good for the gander. And those are the fights that I want us to pick up and, and, and put on our back. But if you're going to pick up a fight that says somebody else's humanity deserves less than what you think yours does, I don't want to hear it from you. And how do we defend? Um, so I've heard in the same conversations that do you think brown women will fight for us the way black women fight for brown women? That's not my job. That's not my job. My job is not to worry about what your values are. My job is to make sure that I'm stepping in my values appropriately. And if your values do not want me to be free, then we know what we're going to have to do. We're going to scrap there. That's all to it. Like, if you, and look, lived in Miami for seven years, y'all. South Florida is a place that wants you to understand that racism can go back to 1920s real quick on you. That Latino culture in South Florida is not pro-black. It's very, very anti-black. It's very, very anti-black. It's very much like 1920s white folks that speak Spanish. Now, in 1920s, they could do anything to us. They could talk to us any kind of way. They could cross the street on you. They could not serve you. They could dismiss you. They, you know, it, it was a particular type of racism. Those are what this country considers minorities, but they have power in South Florida. They are the majority. So I don't want us to think that all people of color are all of a sudden going to care about black folks. There's like a thing in this country, especially for immigrant communities. It's like the country was set up that if you can exploit and step on black people and blackness, you can probably get ahead in America. So about every culture and community comes into the United States and falls into that, that culturing, right? That somebody's got to be underneath you for you to be getting ahead. And black people are the best people to put underneath you. <laughs> you want to get ahead in the United States. That's been true since we were enslaved, right? So we have to, we have to know that about all of the communities that we engage with, we participate with, we fight with, and we have to know how we're going to have the conversation with them that we've been having with this country is that black lives matter. We are not inferior and we are going to be of power and authority and we are going to be our greatest selves in front of you, no matter how ready you are for black excellence or not. Because that's the thing we got to remember about racism and stuff. It does not want to see black people be great. It does not want black excellence to walk freely. 
when it sees black excellence, when it sees black greatness, it feels like it must put it back in a place of subjugation and oppression. That's what we're fighting amongst all people. Anybody that has bought the lie that blackness has any place of inferiority within the human structure is always trying to put you not in your greatest self. So I don't care what color, you know, all skin folks ain't kin folks. We got plenty of black folks that don't want to see black people be great. I want to work with anybody and everybody that believes that black excellence and black greatness is real and that it deserves to walk upright on this earth because that's who I am and that's what I'm going to be. And I want to be in a community that knows I'm going to be here as black excellence always. <laughs> always. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's the like, you know, it's not for us to worry about what other people's values are. It's for us to demonstrate the values of full humanity. So, but how do we do that and we still excel at at the rate that we should be excelling with everything that we have to bring not only to our communities? So when we even go back to as many things as Black people have invented that have Mm -hmm. impacted every Mm -hmm. community that they have stolen from us, made their own, monetize and profit off. How do we still be the women, black women that you speak of and concern ourselves with everyone, but still catapult us into the place and the position that we should have been. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wish I had the, like, here's the magic pie where we're going to get to live into our greatness without all of this obstruction. Um, and, and we don't, all I can do is tell us that we have to keep being us. We cannot allow what anybody else has tried to define us as to stop us from doing what we think is right. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't, I just, we can't, we can't concern ourselves with what other people's viewpoints and understandings are. We have to have a no barriers mindset for the world that we are trying to create for ourselves and our families and our communities. Mm -hmm. No barriers mindset. There's not a reason, a thing, a power that is going to get in the way of the blackness living the joyful life that I believe our community is deserving of. Mm-hmm. And there's not anything. And it might not happen in our lifetime. This is what all of us are. We just watched John Lewis walk up out of here with mm-hmm. the same stuff that he was willing to die for in his 20s being the issue of today. And happening at, at his death's doorstep. Yep. The fact that and he was dying when he walked out amongst protesters in Black Lives Plaza because he mm-hmm. had to be there one more time. Yeah. And slavery was 400 years. Mm-hmm. So how many John Lewis's were there within the 400 years? Because that's 70, what, he was 73? Right? That's 73 years of one person's who, life. I'm who, just saying. John Lewis? Yeah. John Lewis yeah. was 80. Oh shit, I hit the 80s. Who was oh that was Herman Cain that just died. That was seven to three, seven, four, seven, seven. Either <laughs> old black men walking up out of here. Hate to put the two together, but they just old black men. Okay. Um huge difference. Huge difference. <laughs> yes. And men of an era. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Both men of an era. And I think that's the thing all of us, even as black women, have to understand. There's the even right now, there are the Herman Cain's. And the John Lewis's of our day, of our gender, of our moment, right? 
great. And we're all here in this experience and we'll be part of the history and part of the legacy of what does and does not move. That there was a Herman Cain back in the 1800s. You know, that like this isn't a new concept of black people figuring out which path they're going to take towards, you know, what they think is a better life. Politics is whack. We are, I will never, ever, don't get it twisted. <laughs> and he's a story of blackness in this country. And I want us to not, it's like, I don't want people to get confused. Um, all skin folks ain't kin folks, but black history is black history. And it has multiple mm. paths. It has done I many things. Is that, that. is that a word, Shara? Say that that's, again. That's a word, child, because... <laughs> Can you repeat it one more time? Can you remember it, girl? This is where you know you need this to be recorded. What did I say? <laughs> All kinfo and kinfo. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's it's a, the fact that the whole, you you really got me when you said Herman Cain's um, story and even his existence. Still black history. Yeah. Blackness is yeah. part of our history still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Condoleezza is still part of black history. She was still the most powerful woman to rise in the, in the country. Like, Three people would have died if she'd have been president. Now, she might have been, you know, George Bush and them's both. And we didn't agree with her politics. And even to this day, she says crazy stuff that I'm just like, whoa. But I still have never stopped understanding that that's a black woman's story in this country. Yeah. Right. So there's been a lot of talk lately about this thing called um, the black gender gap when it comes to voting. Have you heard of that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's interesting, right, because I think. The last probably, I think when they really started to recognize um, Black women as a powerful voting voting block was really during the Obama campaign when the data and the stats came back and they saw that we showed up and we showed out. Um, we did, we show up and show out when it came to registration, but that actually we turned out the vote um, higher than any other block. And that wasn't only in 2008, but we showed up and showed out at the midterm elections. Um, 2010, we came back in 2012. Um, you know, in 2016, we're not gonna talk about that. But, even, you know? but we we can go back just recently. We still did it then. They still can't blame 16. When months. when Doug Jones won <laughs> in Alabama, mm-hmm. black women a- showed up and showed out to make mm-hmm. sure that when Sessions left that seat, another Sessions did not replace him. Right. And, and we see that happen uh, a lot. And the, the whole concept of the Black gender gap is that um, usually, and it kind of goes to what we were talking about, how Black women, when we vote on issues, it's a f- issues that affect um, humanity uh, versus Black men, right? So they were trying to show how many Black men are actually pro-Trump um, based on their ideals and business ideals and stuff like that. Um, versus Black women, and how the last Black woman collectively voted for uh, a Republican was, I want to say they said about 20 years ago. Other than that, we're consistently like under 10%. Yeah. Um, and I I, I want to say they said, Bob was it Bob Boyle was the last? I was about to say Dole. I was like trying to place. Who was the idiot right. that we was okay. <laughs> Bob Dole was the last candidate that got black women to vote above. Um, 10%. Other than that, we've always uh, voted under. So for me, it's kind of like they're still trying to figure out like the gap, the gap between black men and black women. And you know, I, I think, do you have a, a an opinion about what the gap is? Like, is it the issues? Is it that black woman, for instance, even with the LGBT community in the black community, black woman 
are more prone to embrace the LGBT, in, in my opinion, than, than Black mm-hmm. men. That is the issues when it comes to abortion. You know, like we have very different opinions as Black men and Black women on a lot of the major issues. But mm-hmm. even I've seen in my in my experience, even Black women who are anti-abortion will still vote for the pro-abortion candidate. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I think for me, it's kind of an interesting thing that they're kind of like bringing up this whole Black gender guy. You know, so what do you think? Yeah. So I feel um, it's been really sad the last few years because we've had more Black women run for office um, in the last like five years than we ever have in the history of like Black women running. And what we have found in the polling is that, so you do this like, who are your high propensity voters that you want to come out for you? Who do you... Who are the people that are most challenged? Who are the most swayable to you as a candidate, right? And what we found was that Black men's um, opinions and frameworks on the issues trended at the same space as young white men. Now, who's really trying to talk to 25, 30-year-old white dudes as a Black woman about issues? Do you understand what I'm saying? So the, the framework, the values that patriarchy as a framework for thought, belief, and structure was riding above identity of race. And that's about power. Now let's just be real with ourselves. This is about power. That if we're told white straight men, which I don't, I challenge that because I think white gay men actually have a little bit more power, but that's another thing. Um, White straight men are the most powerful people, right? And their values are A, B, C, D. And you want power, right? You want power. You feel powerless. You think, you know, you need more power. So you're going to pick up the values of A, B, C, D, because that's what is told to us as how you be powerful. This is where, if you believe and think like this, this is where you will achieve and ascertain the power you are looking for. Black men, unfortunately, have bought that ideal. They have believed that if they follow the, the, the patriarchal structure that white men have established for society, that they too will ascend into a power that they actually never will. It's kind of like billionaire status. Most of us will never be billionaires. The chances are, it's great, you'll have a better chance of getting the lotto than you will of starting a business and becoming a billionaire. These are just the facts of the economy. This is the way the history and the shit works. Same thing is true for black men in power within society, but there's still ascribing to the the values that make them think. So even when it comes to Black women candidates, they don't trust us. The polling says that they don't want to see Black women in power, that that's not, and we really have to question what our values are for society structure, for family structure. We've got to get into some of the depths of like why we're really afraid of woman power. And that's a really complex conversation. That's not going to happen in one voting cycle. That's that's not this 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 change that we need within that concept of like black men not participating really is about how are black men going to know they are powerful in their skin without these values of patriarchal domination, because those values are not actually helping our families stay together. Those values are not actually helping us create more political power. We've just got to challenge the root fundamental beliefs of patriarchy and patriarchal dominance. Um, but that gets us back into our faith values. But these are all things that like, you know, we've talked on many subjects, but just within the work, 
in faith. We want to have conversations about faith and patriarchy. We don't want to not talk about it, but it's like to talk about patriarchy means you don't want men to have power. That's not true. We want men to know how to share power. We want men to understand the value of everyone's power, not just them having supreme power. Again, power dynamics, who gets to make decisions, who's supposed to have the power based on what belief systems. It's all about power. Who gets to decide who feels valued, who feels of worth. And unfortunately, Black men's values around power uh, says that they don't want to see democracy. They want to be absolute. And democracy means sharing power. Democracy means women having power. Democracy means people different than you having power. And unfortunately, patriarchy is just a lot about dominance. Who gets to dominate? Who is the strongest? Who is the best? Who is the top? Who is the hierarchical? And we will not create the society that we actually want with those type of frameworks. So, look, I want Black men to participate, but I want us to challenge, you know, why we are participating and we, we're going to have to take decades and years and time. I don't think we got here um, in less than a thousand years. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that we need to beat ourselves up right. if we are not um, fully relieved or reprieved, you know, from, from these realities. But what we cannot do, and this is what black women continue to demonstrate, it don't stop us. It's not stopping us from running for office. It's not stopping Stacey Abrams from creating the most engaged civic campaign of black women, brown women, white women, white men that has ever hit the state of Georgia. It's not stopping anything. So it's just it's very much like racism that um, you're just not going to win in the end. The people have decided that these structures of power are no longer valid. Okay. And the amount of people that believe that these structures of power are no longer valid is going to continue to grow. And we're going to continue to create a new way for us to structure power in our communities. And it's not going to be about the stick between your legs or the breast on your body. It's just not going to be about those things. It's So you have given us so much to chew, so much to swallow, (laughs) so much to digest. Okay. Sorry. I mean, no, 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 no. It's, it's good because we have, we have to be able to hear something, process it, comprehend it, and then put it into action and work. And I think that that's what you, that what you have provided is that we can't just continue to absorb certain things and not process it and put it into action or into play. Um, So I want to ask you now, what should the black woman be doing now to prepare for November? Hmm. And how do we engage our young black girls who are coming out of high school Hmm. And that are coming out of college, Mm -hmm. that have not yet registered to vote. Mm -hmm. How do we how do we engage them, and what do we need to be doing to prepare? Because the season of procrastination in the black community 
and amongst these black women that have gone through an internal revolution is over. Mm -hmm. So we Mm -hmm. are trying to be proactive, even though it's August. Mm-hmm. No, and November time. is not far away. But what do? Where are we? What do we do? So I'm actually gonna say, um, I don't want you to think about November. I think I want everyone to hear this. The United States of America turns 250 years old in 2026. It's six years away. And I want to put every Black woman and every person that believes in human rights and justice, okay? There were these founding fathers that keep coming up in our discourse, in our conversation. Put a, a vision out for what this country would be. And it was an aspirational vision, right? But if I would love to see Black women and girls Look at that 2026 and know that we have the right to be a founding mother of a new culture, of a new era, of a new nationhood, of a new value system. That by the time this place turns 250 years old, I want us to have spent the last six years building into a new foundation. Yeah. Right. That actually is about taking that aspirational founding message, that aspirational declaration of independence, and knowing what in our life has to change in the next six years for us to be living that shit out. I don't want to keep looking at it like an aspirational document. I want all of us to look at the Human Rights Declaration. I want all of us to look at the Constitution of this here United States. And I want us to think about the next five to six years of our life and understand how, who wins November 3rd of 2020 either enables that vision or destabilizes it. And then once you know the answer to that, if he continues, if four or five stays four or five for the next four years of that six years, what are you going to do to achieve the aspirational vision of that declaration of independence? If that fool stays in office, if that fool is gone, what are we going to do? So that when 2026 rolls around, I don't want you to just think about November. I want you to understand how November enables or stops or puts barriers to the vision you have for your own life. The vision you have for your own freedom, for your own founding principles for country, self, nation, humanity, earth. That's what I would really like people to do and look at for November. I know that's a big, tall, delicious order. But we got six years. You to know, play. you will feed us, girl. We and go ahead. It's an order. It's an order. But you're going to feed yourself when you do it. I okay. swear to God, because when you look at the Human Rights Declaration, the, 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 the 29 articles, look at them. what of them have you achieved in your life? What is still left to be achieved? When you look at that Declaration of Independence, what in that has been achieved in your life? What is still left to be achieved? And let's not let this country turn 250 with more ain't achieved than achieved on the list. Do y'all feel me? From our personal self to our country self, how are we going to make that document more real? That's what John Lewis and all of them have really been trying to get us to understand that these folks wrote some words that said you are deserving of a particular life. Come on now. What are we going to do to get there? And I want to get there. I want to live it in my lifetime. But I know I am do fast looking at how am I going to achieve my full human rights? 
how am I going to push this country to a place where it is living into its aspirational values? Great. What do we do? How do we put it in place? And how is who's in power either helping us get there or not? But 2026, I want to see us dancing in a different type of liberation and freedom for ourselves on this soil because we did what we needed to over the next five to six years with a pandemic in our face and all. Yes, it's scary. We got to survive it, people, to do it. So please put on your mask. Please stay your ass at home. Please stop doing the goofy shit out in these streets. Okay, because I need you to survive so that we can actually build up the real foundation of this place. They told us it would be something. It has not gotten there. And Black people have been the pulse and the arc that have demanded this country step into what it said it was. Right. Be who you say you're going to be. Walk it like you talk it. Look here, I'm just, okay, look, can we call this episode church? That's, I just want to call this episode, let me show you something. Pass I mean, the plate. Pass I have, the plate. Like, literally, <laughs> child, I mean, I done laughed. I almost teared up. And lastly, I'm not even playing with you, Shannon. Just, I mean, because everything you're saying is just so magnificent. And it really, even though, you know, we're calling this series The Black Woman's Vote, everything that we talked about in this episode, like you said, we talked about so much everything feeds into um, why it's important for us to vote, how we vote, um, the issues, all of those things. And to me, just kind of where you just landed on is really kind of like explaining why it's all important. Why it's all important. It's, you know, I feel like our vote is, um, it's our obligation. Um, We have a responsibility not to only ourselves, that internal revolution piece that we, we have in our title, um, but to our community and even folks outside of our community, like we touched on that. Um, but it's also revolutionary in itself, despite what people try to make us feel like, you know, within our own community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I just want to thank you. Thank you for really, really kind of just saying all that you just said. Um, I think it's so powerful. And I think if people really do the research and like you say, read the doc, you're part of a country, like, and you'll be surprised that, well, I know you, now that I've known you a little bit, you won't be surprised at how many people have never just sat down and read through the Declaration of um, Independence or the Human Rights Movement and don't know what it say, right? We've had a whole episode where we talked about the 4th of July and how many Black people put on their red, white, and blue, um, but don't know what they're really celebrating. So just mm-hmm. know what you're a part of. And I love the, the creating a new foundation in, in founding mothers. And I think that does start with the Black women's vote. Yeah. Shay, thanks for having me on, y'all. Yeah. I appreciate you calling me out the closet you came. <laughs> <laughs> so we are going to close this episode, Tribe. We're going to continue the conversation. As you know, this is only the second part of a three-part series, so stay tuned for part three. We are also going to continue the conversation on the fourth Saturdays of the month where you can join us on Facebook Live. Please keep the conversation going on our social media, on Instagram at The Black Woman Reborn, as well as on Facebook at The Black Woman Reborn. Please don't stop having these conversations. Tell us what you love. If you have any questions, Shannon, I'm pretty sure she is going to tune in. And if you have questions, drop them down in our uh, Podbean account. Drop them down in our Instagram account. And we'll make sure that we uh, help you continue to keep the conversation going. See you at the next tribe meeting.